There's an interesting verse that I love at the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 25. It says, Jesus did many other things as well besides what's written in John. If all of them were recorded, I imagine the world itself wouldn't have enough room for the scrolls that would be written. Well, that could have happened. We, we could have written down everything that Jesus did, where he was, what he ate, who he spent time with. But we don't have that. We just get the highlights. Now, we know that, that as an adult, when he turned 30, Jesus entered into the public arena. He began his ministry. We've read about the miracles he performed. We've read about the, the sermons that he gave. But even during that public phase of his ministry, Jesus wasn't just performing one miracle right after another. He didn't spend the whole time, those three years, preaching sermons. Even during that public phase of his life, a lot of it was probably ordinary. Walking from village to village, sleeping, eating, grooming, relaxing, having conversations with friends, introducing himself to new people. And that just represents the public phase of his ministry. What was he doing the rest of those 30 years, if not for the daily, normal, mundane kind of things that you and I do? In fact, we might even suppose that his life was more ordinary than most. Jesus wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a great businessman. He, he wasn't royalty. He wasn't a priest. He grew up in a small, poor village, Nazareth, in the, in the poorest of regions, Galilee. His parents were just commoners. We know his father was, was a carpenter, and so likely Jesus learned a little bit about carpentry. Just ordinary. In fact, when the Bible tries to describe him for us, Isaiah 53, 2, it says he grew up like a young plant before us, like a root from dry ground. He possessed no splendid form for us to see, no desirable appearance, Philippians 2. He emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The majority of Jesus's life was just filled with normal, ordinary stuff. Chores around the house, helping with his father's business, caring for his brothers and sisters, participating in community life, attending the synagogue, occasionally going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, doing whatever needed to be done. And honestly, friends, isn't that what it means to live the Christian life? To as faithfully as possible live out our spirituality and our faith in God in the normal, in the ordinary, in the daily, in the mundane. I have a theory, I've never actually tested this out, maybe one of these days I will. I have a theory that if you went through the Bible and wrote down every 
miracle mentioned in scripture, every angelic visitation, every God sighting in scripture, and then divided into that number, whatever it might be, the total number of years represented by the Bible, that you probably wouldn't even get one miracle a year, not even a a one miracle to one year ratio. Now, I think that's true even more so because we know that some of the miracles mentioned in the Bible happened in compressed times, like the Exodus, there were a lot of miracles. In the life of Jesus, there were a lot of miracles. In the early days of the church, there were a lot of miracles. So, So when you cluster those together, there were more years where maybe a single miracle didn't get observed. Maybe it happened. We just don't have record of it. We also know that some of the miracles were were very public, like everybody saw when Moses parted the waters at the Red Sea. But so many other of the miracles we read about in Scripture happened just privately in just a small group. My point is that the majority of people in biblical times weren't walking around always seeing angels visiting or hearing the word of the Lord or or experiencing a miracle. Rather, most of the people living in biblical times sought to live as faithfully as they could, doing what you do every day, planting crops, waiting for your crop to grow, harvesting your crop, turning it into olive oil or or wine, marrying, having children, caring for widows and orphans, occasionally being called to go to war, trying to be as ethical in the business place and the market, striving to live the commandments, attending the religious services, faithfulness in the normal, the ordinary, the daily seeking to know God and be faithful to God in the regular, regular, ordinary stuff of life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that miracles don't happen. I think they do. I think maybe we don't ask for them nearly enough or we have eyes to see them when they do happen. I'm not saying angels don't make visitations. I think they do. Maybe you've met one and just don't know it. I'm not saying that God doesn't speak. I believe God does speak when we listen. But what I am suggesting this morning is that God is not only found in the extraordinary, that God isn't only found in the miraculous. God isn't only found when angels sing to shepherds in the field or angels appear to to a young mother, but rather God is found in the ordinary, the common, and the mundane, like most of our lives are every day. The Episcopal priest and and author Barbara Brown Taylor says, what is saving my life now is the conviction that there is no spiritual treasure to be found apart from the bodily experiences of human life on earth. My life depends on engaging the most ordinary physical activities with the most exquisite attention I can give them. My life depends on ignoring all touted distinctions between the secular and the sacred, the physical and the spiritual, the body and the soul. What is saving my life now is becoming more fully human, trusting that there is no way to God apart from the real life and the real world. Friends, Jesus didn't come to fill our lives with with otherworldly 
Christmas-like spiritual experiences. He came to participate in the real lives that you and I live every day. Theologically, we call this the incarnation, that God came and took on flesh to live our lives and to experience our experiences. And let me be clear about this. Jesus wasn't just God incarnate at his birth or when he performed a miracle or when he hung on the cross or when he was resurrected. He was also God incarnate every day that we don't have recorded in scripture. Think about that for a moment. The vast majority of the earthly life of the savior of the world was ordinary. God came to be incarnate among us in the common things. Jesus was a carpenter, a son, a brother, a friend, a Jew, He ate when he was hungry. He slept when he was tired. He attended the synagogue to learn about his God. He worked when there was work to be done. He laughed when something struck his funny bone and he cried when he was sad. I have no doubt he experienced tremendous joy and depth of sorrow. I have no doubt that he loved and he mourned when he experienced loss all the while living the life he was sent to live, the incarnate son of God. And that's an example for us. How do we incarnate the presence of God, not just in these special moments of the year, but in our daily lives? Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, who can really be faithful in great things if he has not learned to be faithful in the things of daily life? So the question I suppose this morning is how do we continue to worship the Christ of Christmas as the celebration comes to an end? As we take down the decorations, as our company leaves, as we get back to our normal diet, as we go back to work, as we go back to school, how do we continue to worship the Christ of Christmas? Well, I want to say today that Normal, I think, is the point. That how we live in the ordinary, everyday, mundane tasks of life is what really matters as we strive to live as faithfully as possible. That the Christ of Christmas isn't just found in tinsel and in sparkling lights, but ultimately is found in the daily sweat and blood and tears of life as we seek to live it faithfully. I've gained a growing appreciation for a Christian theologian named Howard Thurman, who wrote a poem called The Work of Christmas. And it goes like this. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers, to make music in the heart. And so soon another Christmas will have come and gone. But now, 
on the eve of a new year, now the work of Christmas really begins. Let us pray. And so God, we thank you for the beauty of this season, for all it represents to us. We thank you for the joy. We thank you for the wonder. We thank you for those moments that have taken our breath away, those moments that we will remember and cherish. But Lord, now we pray that you would find us faithful in the mundane, in the ordinary, in the daily. May you find us faithful in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand and let's sing together.